0: There's a band uh, popular in the 90s called Everclear who put out a song back in 1997 called Father of Mine. Listen to a few of these lyrics from the song. Some of y'all know this song. It says this, Father of Mine, tell me where have you been? Yeah, I just closed my eyes and the world disappeared. Father of Mine, tell me how do you sleep? With the children you abandoned and the wife I saw you beat. I'll never be safe. I'll never be sane. I will always be weird inside. I'll always be lame. Now I'm a grown man with a child of my own. I swear I'll never let her know all the pain that I've known. And then there's this chorus that just echoes throughout the song. It's an upbeat song, but when you listen to the the lyrics and the chorus, it really leaves you with the chill. It says this, My daddy gave me a name, then he walked away. It's an autobiographical song sung by the lead singer about his father who abandoned him as a child. And he's clearly angry and hurt. He sings these lyrics over and over again. My daddy gave me a name and he walked away. From a young age, we all feel as if our parents at some level have, have committed to us. They have, they have committed to love us. They have committed to invest in us. They have committed to protect us no matter what. But unfortunately, some people, maybe some of you, have experienced the brokenness of that, pro, that, that promise and that leaves pain doesn't it it hurts maybe you've also made a commitment like the lead singer of Everclear, to be better parents to your kids than your parents were to you maybe maybe you've made similar commitments that say now now that i'm grown with children of my own i'm not going to let them know all the pain that i've known maybe you've made a solid commitment to be a loving and and devoted parent and you plan on keeping that promise, that's that's great. And I know many of you have, and I would encourage you parents to continue down that path. But unfortunately, though many in our church today have made this kind of commitment to be a devoted parent in a physical sense, many have unfortunately in the church neglected their calling to be the same type of devoted parent in a spiritual sense. This morning, I'm going to talk about the importance of being a devoted spiritual father. Some of you are probably wondering what I mean by that when you you read the the title of today's sermon or you hear me say it. Well, if you're you're wondering, it's good you're here this morning because we're going to look at what that means as we open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4, we're going to be looking at verses 14-14 through 21 this morning for those of you not familiar with first corinthians it is a letter written by the apostle paul to a church that he planted in the city of corinth and this was one messy messed up church for those of you discouraged about the problems in our church today, I've even heard people say, if we could just get back to the way the churches were in the first century, certainly you don't mean Corinth. Corinth had all kinds of issues. So did all the other churches. Churches planted by the apostles because it was filled with fallen people and planted right smack dab in the midst of a broken and fallen world. Now the church has always had issues, and this church had issues, issues that began shortly after Paul left. So he writes this letter, many believe, five years after leaving to address these issues, to give solid biblical counsel in hopes that the Corinthians will get back on track spiritually and get busy living God. So this, this letter teaches us as leaders how, how to deal with various issues in the church and as mature Christ followers. But we also we, we learn when we study the first part of this letter, in particular, we learn the role of pastors and, and church leaders and how these individuals are to deal with these church-related issues. Throughout the first part of the book, Paul explains his relationship to the Christians at Corinth by using several metaphors to describe himself and other Christian leaders. For example, Paul uses lowly metaphors. In chapter 3, he refers to himself and and other leaders in the church as servants, which is the English equivalent of a busboy or a table waiter. That's pretty humbling, isn't it? But that's the way Christian leaders are to be viewed, the way they're to serve. In chapter 4, he uses a different word that's translated servant, which refers to the lowliest of slaves, a galley slave. That's how he viewed himself In other leaders. He also uses agricultural metaphors. In chapter 3, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brings the increase. Also in chapter 3, Paul uses the metaphor of a builder. He refers to himself as the wise master builder who lays the foundation for the early church, and he describes believers as being the ones responsible for building upon that work and building up the church in the right way, in a God-honoring way, on the right foundation. Also in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul refers to himself and other Apostles and ministers as stewards of the mysteries of God. He explains how pastors and church leaders are called by God to use their God-given gifts to distribute the Word of God to the people of God to explain the Word, to make it clear and known. Well, here at the end of chapter 4, Paul gives us yet another metaphor to describe himself and other leaders in the church it's much more personal metaphor than a table waiter or a galley slave or a steward or a farmer or a builder he refers to himself as a father as a father let's look at it look at verses 14 and 15 of 1 Corinthians chapter 4 Paul writes I do not write these things to make you ashamed But to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel, In this passage, Paul gives us a beautiful picture of the ministry of a spiritual father. And he also provides an example, which is himself. And he calls for others to follow that example. In verse 16, he says, be imitators of me. So Paul's message to this messy church in the first century in Corinth, and his message to us this morning is, be a devoted spiritual Father. Now, I know it's Father's Day, and this certainly applies to our dads, but to our ladies in here, I want to let you know you don't get off the hook this Sunday morning. Know that when I say spiritual father, I'm speaking on a much broader scale about the importance of, of all of us as believers, both male and female, being devoted spiritual parents. Okay? so back to what that means first of all you should know this and many of you do the Bible is God's guide for our life and it is filled with clear instructions for how we are to live a life that is honoring to him but it is also filled with example after example of servants like Paul who we can look to and compare our lives with and imitate and in our passage this morning Paul's going to do more than simply explain to us what a spiritual father is. He is going to show us. He is going to give us a great example of what it means to be a devoted spiritual father. And he is going to call for us his readers to follow his example. So what we're going to do with the rest of the time we have here this morning is we're going to look to Paul in this passage and examine the characteristics from his own life in ministry that we learn in this passage of what it takes to be a devoted spiritual father. A great passage to look at during missions month and For Father's Day. Here's the first characteristic. Number one, a devoted spiritual father leads people to Christ. Look at verse 15. Paul says, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus. Through the gospel. So Paul tells the Corinthians here though you have a number of teachers, I am your spiritual father. And the reason why is because he was instrumental in leading them to saving faith. God used him in that way. This is where being a spiritual father begins. To be a spiritual father, you have to have led someone to the Lord. And that makes sense, right? A, a father is someone who has a child. Do you agree with me? If you have a child, you're a father. As a man, right? You may be a man, you may be a husband, but if you don't have a child, you don't have a father. You're not a father yet. Paul was the spiritual father of the Corinthians because we, we learn in Acts 18 that God used him to make an impact in this city. And as Paul continued to faithfully pour his life into the lives of these people, as he continued to faithfully preach and teach the Word of God, many came to Christ, and eventually a church was started. So, Paul was the, the instrument that God used to birth the church In Corinth. He planted the seed. Out of the seed came Christian converts and then a church. Now, some who have studied this text at the end of chapter 4, they have some difficulty with Paul referring to himself as the father of the Corinthians. They say, you know, I thought salvation was solely a work of God. So why is Paul taking any of the credit? Well, look again at verse 15. Paul says... I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. There are two essential agents mentioned here by Paul in verse 15, other than himself, Christ, and the gospel. Paul rightly recognizes no one comes to saving faith apart from Christ and the gospel. The gospel makes salvation understandable, and the person and work of Christ makes salvation possible, but there is also a human agency in salvation. Let me ask you this. When Christ asked for His disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest, did he say, pray to the Lord of the harvest that God would come down in an obvious and invisible way, pray for him to directly save people? Is that what he says? You'll learn what he says this week in your scripture reading. Did he say this? Pray to the Lord of the harvest to write the gospel message in the clouds or speak the message audibly from heaven for all to hear. Say No. What he says is, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. Jesus also said in Matthew 28 that his followers are to go and make disciples. Acts 1.8, he calls for them to be his witnesses. Believers, while salvation is a work that only God does, God uses his people as instruments for his redemption. We are called to be his witnesses. So to be devoted spiritual parents, you must first have spiritual children. To have spiritual children, you must take this message, the gospel message, and push it out and make it known. It's what all of us are called to do. Now, it's up to God to say, if I truly believe if you're a faithful witness first to your kids in the home, don't you dare share Christ other places if you're not also doing it in the home. You need to be doing it In both, but the home is to be priority one, your kids and your family. Then your friends and your co-workers. I believe if you're faithful to do that, then you will reproduce and and produce spiritual Children, Maybe some of you here, you hear that and that's a bit intimidating for you if you're being honest. One, maybe because you're afraid of rejection or maybe you don't feel as if you have a good handle on the gospel and you're fearful that you'll misrepresent the message. If, if that's your thinking, listen, I've heard it said before that if you understood the gospel well enough to respond to it in repentance and faith, you have enough of it to then go share with others That's important for you to remember. But also, it's important for you to come here to get equipped to be who God has called you to be out there as a faithful witness for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the reason we gather. That's the reason for the ministries in this church to equip saints for this work of ministry. So, the first characteristic for a devoted spiritual father is he leads people to Christ. Look at the second point. A devoted spiritual father also lovingly corrects God's people. Look back up at verse 14. Paul says, I do not write these things to you to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Now, context is key here. Paul has been pretty harsh in his words toward the Christians at Corinth because they were were struggling. They They were not honoring god in the way they were living their lives as believers so he uses some harsh language in the previous passage paul dishes out some very very harsh rebukes toward them he's very sarcastic saying things like oh you guys you got the christian life licked don't you you got it all figured out you're kings you don't need us very sarcastic sometimes that's needed I'm sure upon reading that, some, I don't know this for sure, but some of them might have been wanting to wash their hands of Paul. Remember, they were a prideful people. This is some hard words for prideful people to hear. But here in verse 14, Paul gives the reason for this harsh rebuke. He says, my goal in criticizing you is not to browbeat you and, and, and leave you beat down and discouraged. He says, my purpose is not to humiliate you, but to reclaim you. He says, I admonish you. Now, it's in, that's an important word, that word admonish. The word simply means to criticize or to correct in love in hopes of a change. Paul loved the Corinthians. He loved them deeply. In fact, the word beloved here used here is the strongest kind of love, the deepest kind of love, not just brotherly love, but the kind of love that that God shows for His people, the kind of love that a father and mother give to a child. It's unconditional. Parents, when you love your children, you love them unconditionally and sacrificially, at least you should. Meaning that you love them more than your own life. You also love them with understanding. A father or mother who loves their children struggles to understand their child so they can meet His or her needs I know I did that when ours were young before they could verbally communicate what they wanted I would get down on their level try to figure out what it was that was ailing them What what it was that was troubling them so that I could meet that need? You also love them with patience now. I know our patience is tested parents, right? oftentimes But you don't just write your kids off say you're on your own from here on out though. You may feel like it at times But you continue to go to them, right? And instruct them and correct them so that they can improve and become more of a person that God has called for them to be. Get this, that's the way we are to love God's people. This is the way Paul loved his spiritual children. This is the way Paul loved the church. He loved God's people sacrificially. He loved them with patience and understanding. He did not quit on them. Boy, people are quick to quit on the church aren't they and bring their problems somewhere else to another congregation oftentimes so quick to just say I'm done with them Paul never did that he didn't quit on the church he came to their aid he sought to understand their situation so that he could help them and direct them back on track for God sure he got heated with them but what parent doesn't who truly loves their child? Dads, am I right? Moms, am I right? Same is true with spiritual children. That's why Paul says, I admonish you, I, I, I correct you, I criticize you because I love you and because I want to see a change in your life. Believers, to be devoted, spiritual parents, you need to be willing to admonish God's people. If you see a brother or sister in Christ who are involved in ungodly activity, you need to be willing to criticize in love in hopes of a change behavior. Now you need to be tactful in the way you go about it, right? You need to say things in the right way at the right time and with the right intent or you may get the wrong response. But you should not refuse to rebuke someone in love in order to reclaim them. And believers, you need to be willing to be on the receiving end of that when it's needed so that you can grow in godliness. Solomon says in Proverbs 13, verse 1, a wise son hears his father's instruction, but a scoffer does not listen to rebuke. You know what a scoffer is? It's a prideful fool who doesn't respect anybody, thinks he's got it all figured out. That's what a scoffer is. Solomon says it's foolish to be that way. Don't be like the scoffer. Be like those willing to receive instruction. Be willing to be rebuked and know that when it's done in love, it's done for your good. Do you realize that there is grace in rebuke? There is. When we're rebuked, we can see things when it's done in love and when it's done with clear insight, we can see things going on in our heart that we may be blinded to. God can show us things that are not right with us through rebuke, but oftentimes we just ignore it or or we don't give it out. People continue in, in ignorance. Don't be that way. Learn from Paul. This is an important part of a spiritual father's work. Believers, let me ask you this morning, do you love God's people this much? Think about your your closest friend or family member who's a believer, or maybe it's someone you've led to Christ. Let me ask you, do you care about them enough to correct them in love when they're in the wrong so that they can be all who God has called for them to be? For those on the other end, let me tell you, you need friends like that. Those types of friends should be your best friends. Solomon calls those people wise, wise. It's very important. Can you imagine what our church would would look like if we would lovingly correct our brothers and sisters in Christ who are close to us, and if we would humbly accept correction so that we can be more of who God's called us to be? Can you imagine what the church would look like if that were taking place? May that be true of us. Next, a devoted spiritual father sets a good example for God's people. Look at verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. So, here in verse 16, Paul puts himself out there, calls for the believers at Corinth to be imitators of him. He's saying here, I'll set the pattern, you follow. Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, I've heard pastors say, live as I say and not as I do. They'll say, don't follow me, follow Jesus. But that's not the biblical pattern for leadership that Paul sets here. That's what Jesus accused the Pharisees of doing. Matthew 23, 2-4, he says, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. They preach but do not practice They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. The scribes and the Pharisees had all their doctrines in order. They knew the Bible. They could quote God's law with the best of them, but they had a major problem. They didn't have a lifestyle to match. Paul says here, don't just follow my teachings. He says, follow my life. Can you say that, believers? Can you tell people, if you live the way I live, then you'll be living the life that Christ called for you to live? Can you say that? If not, what needs to change? What in your life is out of sync spiritually? Is your Christian walk, get this, consistent with your Christian confession? Is the way you live consistent with who you claim to be in Jesus? Though I'm sure many of us in here would claim that Christ is Lord of our life, that we are followers of Him. Is your walk consistent with that confession? Parents, what kind of example are you setting in the home when you leave this place? And when you go home, are you the kind of person there that you are here? That's convicting it's one of the toughest places to disciple because your kids and your spouse they see you at your worst they see you and have to deal with you in the morning when you didn't get enough sleep the night before they have to deal with you when after a long day of work when you're 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 tired and stressed out it's one of the toughest places to disciple But it's one of the most important places that discipleship needs to take place and it's one of the most neglected places for discipleship. What kind of example are you setting there, parents? What kind of example are you setting in the workplace? Believe me when I tell you your coworkers are watching. They are watching how you're going to respond in certain situations. They are sizing you up to see whether or not you are the real deal. To see if your walk is consistent with who you claim to believe in and follow. Discipleship so much more than teaching principles. Do you know that? Heard it said before, discipleship doesn't just take place at a table. It's it's more than teaching principles to people. It's living principles in front of people. That's discipleship. That's the way Paul viewed it. That's why he said, imitate me as I follow Christ and praise the Lord for the rain. Amen? Now, upon hearing this, and, and praise the Lord, my voice is loud. <laughs> upon hearing this, some will be tempted to say, well, that's, that's Paul, you know? That's Paul. Paul was a, a super Christian. I mean, come on. Nobody could, could live up to that kind of standard. If that's the way you're thinking, you're wrong. Look at verse 17. You're going to be corrected in the text if you're thinking in that way. Paul says, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. Now, now when first reading this, this should seem strange when you read it in context that verse 17 follows verse 16. Because Paul says in verse 16, be imitators of me. And then he says, that's why I'm sending you Timothy. It's kind of strange, isn't it? says I want you to be followers of me so I'm sending him what's the deal wouldn't it make more sense for Paul to say I want you to imitate me so I'm coming to see you guys well here's the deal here we have a great example of what results from devout devout spiritual parenting here Paul had done such an excellent job on raising Timothy that Timothy going to Corinth was the same as Paul going Do you see that he he says when he gets there he will remind you of my ways in other words he's saying when Timothy gets to you not only will his doctrine be the same as mine but his life will match Paul is saying when he arrives you will have my example before you because they're both like Jesus believers we need to be pouring into each other's lives in this way we do if you're further along spiritually than someone else, if you're more advanced in the faith, you need to be pouring your life into new believers, new believers to grow in godliness. You need to be seeking mature Christ followers to look to, to be instructed by, to imitate, so that we as a church can be more like Christ, so this church can be built up and be what God has called for her to be. When Christ called for his disciples to make disciples in Matthew 28, I believe Paul and Timothy is what he had in mind. That's the standard. If you're knowing where if you're you're here this morning just wondering where to begin, again it begins in the home. Don't you dare be doing this elsewhere and not be doing it in the home. It starts there, but then it is to to pour out, spill out from there into the workplace, into the neighborhood, into your your, your family's life, into the lives of your friends. And and again, to, to get equipped to do that, this is the place you need to come to do that. If you're a babe in Christ, you need to plug in to equipping classes and small groups and men's and women's Bible studies so that you can grow in your knowledge of God and the Christian faith so that you can meet men and women who are more mature than you, who can pour into you that you can look to and and so that you can grow. And then as you grow, you need to be looking for others who join the group that you can pour into so that we grow up in godliness. That's the way God set this thing up. So sets a good example for God's people. The fourth characteristic, devoted spiritual father also carefully instructs God's people. Look again at verse 17. Paul says, That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Though it's important to live out what you believe, like we just said, it's also important to carefully instruct others because, let's be honest, you can't live out principles you don't know, right? Paul says, Timothy will remind you of my ways which are in Christ, the same principles that I teach everywhere. Did you get that? Paul taught biblical, practical, and applicable principles. This is very important. To be a devoted spiritual parent, not only should you instruct others, but the instruction that you give should be biblical, understandable, and applicable. Sometimes we have to crucify our intellectualism. Who cares what we know if they don't learn it, right? Sometimes we just need to teach on a basic, biblical, practical, understandable level. John Stott said this when it comes to teaching. If we love them, our objective will not be to impress them with our learning, but to help them with theirs. I like that. Augustine said this, a wooden key is not as beautiful as a gold one, but if it can open the door when the gold one can, it's far more useful. It's a great point. The key is not to impress. It's to bring understanding. That's key. I can honestly stand before you today and tell you the best kind of feedback that I receive after a sermon is not when someone says, wow, you know a lot, but when they say, wow, I learned a lot. I now know what this text is saying and I know how I'm to live in light of that text. Best compliment in the world. Now, this takes time. It takes time, lots of study, to be able to understand the message in a way to kind of put it in an accurate way, but, but in, a, in a basic, practical way so it can be received and applied. But it's worth the time, isn't it? It's worth the investment. We need to... Be pouring into God's word in that way so that we can in turn instruct others, not to impress, but to educate, to equip. Believers, though we have said already, this church needs more gifted teachers. We, we have praised our teachers in the past. We need more gifted teachers for our children and and youth and adults and small groups and, and, and Bible studies. And I'm praying for more. We need teachers who know the Bible and can communicate it accurately and understandably and applicably. So a devoted spiritual father is one who leads people to Christ lovingly corrects, sets a good example for, and carefully instructs God's people. And last point here, a devoted spiritual father effectively disciplines God's people. Look at verses 18 through 21. Paul says, some are arrogant. Now he's... he's, getting pretty colorful with his words here as though i were not coming to you but i'll come to you soon if the lord wills and i will find out not the talk of these arrogant people but their power for the kingdom of god does not consist in talk but in power i love that underline that what do you wish Shall i come to you with the rod or with love in a spirit of gentleness There are times when a father has to discipline his child, right? It's written in the job description of the parents that they at times must exercise discipline. This is important because you know what happens with the child who goes without discipline? They become arrogant. They become unruly. They begin to think they're above such discipline. That's exactly what has happened to the Christians in Corinth. They had become arrogant in Paul's absence. He says here in verse 18, that very thing, some of you are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. The Corinthians thought they were something. They thought they were above being disciplined by someone like Paul. They thought of themselves as mature. They thought Paul might be intimidated in their presence, maybe impressed by how spiritual they were. They felt as if they had a handle on the Scriptures. They they each had their own leader they followed. There was some who said, we follow Apollos. Others, we follow Peter. There was even a Jesus group. But they were all divided. Paul was not impressed. He says in verse 19, If it be possible, if the Lord wills, I'm coming. We'll see who's all talk and we'll see who's the real deal. We'll see those whose Christian walk is consistent with their Christian confession. He says, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk but in power. In other words, words are cheap. Talk is cheap. When I come, I'll be able to see who exhibits true Christian character, who's a true member of the kingdom of God, who's authentic, not by lofty words, they had a lot of those, but by examining one's life. How would you measure up, believers? Not by your words, but if someone examines you by your actions. Verse 21, Paul gives them a choice of how he's to come to them. This sounds like a parent. With love and a spirit of gentleness or with the rod? He says, how do you want me to come? Notice the question remains open-ended because the choice belongs to the Corinthians. Parents, you ever say this to your kiddos? choice is yours you can obey me and everything will be great or disobey and face the consequences right why do we give our children these options hopefully it's to see them obey no matter what because that's what God's called for them to do when you allow them to continue in disobedience you're showing them that it's okay to disobey God because God calls for them to honor you That's why when you allow them to go without discipline, it's not good for you and it's not good for them. And it's not good for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Paul was not okay with his spiritual children continuing in disobedience toward God and basically says, you guys are going to obey, but it's your choice whether it's going to be the easy way or the hard way. Believers, we need to be speaking into one another's lives in this way. Like this, in love. But sternly at times. We we need at times to be hard on one another, not because we want to rule over someone else, but because we love one another and again, want to see people living the life that God has called for them to live. So to be a devoted spiritual father, you must willingly discipline God's people. Let me end with this. Though many of the Corinthians were clearly wrong in Paul's day, though, though many of them needed to be corrected because of, of their, their attitudes and actions, here's the truth. Scripture says all of us, without exception, have sinned against God. Every one of us. We have all failed to measure up to meet God's perfect standard, and we all deserve, get this, His rod of discipline, His judgment. Yet though that's the case, though God is a just God who hates sin and punishes sin, He is also a God of love and mercy and grace. And He demonstrated that for us by sending His Son who emptied Himself, who left the riches of heaven, became one of us, took on flesh. He lived for us. He fulfilled all righteousness for us. And He suffered and died and rose again so that we through faith alone, in Him alone, could be forgiven and restored to a right relationship with the living God. Jesus, get this, He endured God's punishment for us. He was without sin, but He took that punishment on Himself that that was reserved for us, God's rod of discipline in our place. As we sing in here on occasion, Christ was crushed by God for us so that we through faith alone in Him alone might not have to be crushed so that we, through faith alone in Christ alone, can move from being enemies of God to being children of His. That's the gospel. It's wonderful news. And it can be wonderful news for you today if you can if you would confess your sin, if you would forsake that sin and make Christ Lord of your life before you can can live a life honoring to God, you must first be made right with Him through His Son, Jesus. And the only way to do that is forsake your ways, stop going at life on your own, and look to His Son, Jesus, and bow your knee to Him and make Him your Lord you've never made that decision, I pray that you would today. Would you pray with me?